look at Romans 4, which is our sermon uh, uh, text for today. So Romans 4, and uh, the sermon title for today comes straight out of the first verse. We're actually going to look, um, skim over the whole chapter, and kind of get the idea, the basic gist or the, the idea of the chapter. And uh, Tom was telling me that uh, maybe next week somebody else is going to preach, or in two weeks maybe, and maybe go deeper on certain things. Uh, they can clean up the mess, basically, of whatever I missed. Um, so today's sermon, the first line set in, in Romans 4.1, What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh, has found? So the sermon title is basically, What did Abraham find? It's a really interesting question when you stop to think about it. Now, Abraham lived 180, uh, 180 BC, so before Christ. So that's getting up on 4,000 years ago. He never conquered any nations. He never wrote a book. He never really did anything. Uh, he was, you know, moderately rich for the time, but he was still a nomad. He traveled here. He traveled there. He never really, he didn't even build anything other than, um, uh, Sorry, I can only think of the French word right now. Um, altars. He built some altars, um, you know, which anybody would just think they're a pile of rocks, probably, if they found them today. And yet, today, and I did a quick Google search, um, over half of the world's population, you have 31% Christians, 22% um, Muslims, 0.2% Jews, all the Abrahamic religions, over 54% of the world's population is now worshipping the God that Abraham discovered, that, that Abraham had a relationship with. So he must have found something. And I could say the, the powers, the, the political powers today are all influenced dramatically by Abraham's God, by, Abraham, by the Abrahamic religions. And don't hear me saying that they're all the same or anything like that. That's not at all where I'm going. I'm just saying, what an important question to ask. What did Abraham actually find? I think to find the answer to that question, we need to go back a little bit in the book of Romans to ask, well, what was Abraham looking for? And I think that uh, Paul lays out in Romans 1, 2, and 3, Kind of the human condition according to the Jews, the way that the Jews saw it. And I understand that different religions around the world will see the human condition or the condition of humans towards God differently. But this is Paul laying out how the Jews understood the human situation. Uh, Paul has a fairly long introduction. And then, uh, you know, hi, how's it going? Um, talking about how he's apostle, things like this. And then in verse 18 of chapter 1, he starts with the message. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So bam, right out of the gate. Uh, the first thing he wants to say about the truth that he's trying to communicate is that God is angry at us. That the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. Um, and then he continues, and I'm going to skip because we just for time, but towards the end of the chapter he goes on and on about homosexuality, about um, about the pride of man, about uh, impurity, about other things. And verse 28, just as they did not see fit to... Sorry, verse 29. People are filled with unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, envy, full of envy, murder, strife, evil, deceit, malice. 
They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but they also give hearty approval to those who practice them. So don't check out on me here. This is bad news. This is, this is dark. But there is a solution coming. And, and you can't see the bright light. You can't see the beauty of the gospel until you, first of all, lay a foundation. You have a background of black from which the cross shines forth. So the first thing Paul is saying is that, according to the Jews, humanity is sinful, God is holy. There's a huge gap, a huge chasm between God and man. And just in case you were thinking, well, that's okay, that's those people over there, those people outside the church, those people that, all those sinners, you know, those, those evil people out there. In chapter 2, right away he goes to the religious people, because these are kind of the two extremes we go to. Um, we either look to religion to save us, or else we say, well, I'm just going to live my life however I want. And the first verse of chapter 2, Therefore you have no excuse, every one of you who passes judgment. For in that which you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge, practice the same thing. And this is the same thing that our culture very truly and, and correctly says back to the church often. Who are you to judge? You're no better. And as Christians, we would say, I know, we're no better. Um, but this is a strong, and, and chapter 2 of Romans is a strong condemnation of the attitude that, well, I'm just going to go to church, I'm just going to do a religious thing, I'm just going to be a good person, and that's how I'm going to get good with God. Because at the end of the day, all humans, and I'm not going to spout my own ideas, I'm going to quote here, in chapter 3, uh, verse 9, For we already know that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. Both Jews and Greeks under sin. So to understand his mindset, what he's saying is, Jews, a.k.a. religious people, and Greeks, a.k.a. non-religious people, that aren't trying to follow the Old Testament, that aren't trying to follow the laws, everybody is under sin. And verse 323, very familiar verse, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So this is the problem. The problem according to the Jews, the problem according to the Old Testament is that there is a distance between, God is holy, we are sinful, and there's a terrible distance between the two. And because of that distance, God's wrath is directed towards humanity. It's kind of like this. Um, I just did our taxes, and uh, I had to pay. Usually, I get money. So usually, I like tax season, but because we moved to a different province, and, and our mission was kind of confused, we were kind of confused, Quebec is kind of crazy when it comes to paperwork and things um and we weren't paying enough every month and we have to pay and uh it changes the way that you approach taxis and when you need to pay uh it's different you know if if you owe the government money they're like hey pay me right now you know april 15th or whatever that date is april 30th you have to pay me right now or else there's gonna be interest there's gonna be consequences and you know pay up now, if they owe you money, they're like, nah, well, you know, we're, it's all good. You know, we'll get the money to you whenever, you know, you get your, your taxes in. But if, you know, if it takes you three months to fill, fill out your taxes, hey, that's no problem for us. You know, like we're just kind of keeping the interest here ourselves and whatever, you know. 
Um, and there's religions and there's people in the world that are kind of like, well, you know, God kind of owes me. You know, like, you know, I sin sometimes, I do good things, and at the end of the day, I mean, we're going to get up there to heaven and talk to God, and he's going to be like, yeah, well, you know, you did more good than bad, so here you go. Here's your, uh, your, your eternal rewards. And um, there's other religions that are like, no, I mean, we do a lot more bad than good. Um, so when it, it's not going to go well on tax day, as far as we're concerned. And this is the situation for, for Abraham, for the Jews, for the Christian religion. Um, we have a deficit. No matter how much good we do, we can't out, we can't do more good than we do bad. That's just how we are. And so we have this problem that we're trying to reconcile. How do we get back to God? How do we get peace with God? How do we deal with, with this sin issue that we have? So now that we have that background, we know where, where Abraham's coming from. Let's come back to Romans 4. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh, has found? And here, he starts an argument, and I'm just going to pick a few things out of it, and then we're going to come back to it, okay? So it says, For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. So it says, Abraham was justified by works. Or not, not by works, but he was justified. So he found something called justification. Now, justification, uh, there's a myth floating around the, the Christian circle sometimes that Back in the day, they didn't have uh, law courts. They didn't, they didn't think in terms of legal, um, legal transactions. That's a, a later Greek thing. That's Middle Ages. That's Reformation. That's not true. Uh, if you look, well, for one thing, we have a book of the Bible called The Judges. Because what did the judges do um, at a thousand years before Christ or more? They sat in judgment, and they helped people decide their cases. What was Moses doing in the desert? Um, that Jethro, his father-in-law, had to say, whoa, calm down, you need some help. Everybody was coming to him with their complaints, and he was saying, okay, you need to do this, you need to do that, you need to do this. This is the, the, the decision on the matter. And obviously the kings later on, Solomon very famously, was, was involved in deciding what was right and deciding what was wrong in a, certain, in a given situation. And this sort of idea is all throughout the Bible. That before God, God is going to sit in judgment with us and say, here's all the facts, and I know all the facts. And in this situation, you were either in the right or you were in the wrong. And if you can just imagine being in a situation, let's just create a hypothetical situation. Just because we just had a baby, and uh, if, you, if you ask, I can tell you the details, but it's, um, I won't get too distracted. Just to say, it came really fast. Like, really fast. Unfortunately... We were at the birthing center, so it was all good. But it was like, we thought we were at the beginning, and all of a sudden, poof, there was a baby. That was not supposed to happen right then. Uh, we were happy, but it was like, wow, okay. Um, so let's just create this hypothetical situation, okay? So you're driving to the hospital, and your wife is having a baby, like, now. Okay, and this isn't just like the first time around, and all oh, we're, we're kind of crazy because we don't know what we're doing. No, this is number four, and we know this is serious, we're going. On the way, you clip somebody on a bicycle, all right? And the guy spins off. You know you should stop. You should deal with this. You broke his bike. You broke his window. And you and you're this little mirror thing. And you make a judgment call. And you say, my wife is having a baby. She's not having it in the car. We're going. All right? So you get called up on charges, right? Because this is highly illegal. This is, this is very serious what you just did. And you stand before the judge. And you say, look, I was having a baby. And I saw that this guy was fine. I'm really sorry. What I did was so wrong, but would you please forgive me? 
Now you understand that because of what you did, you have guilt on you. You have moral guilt, but you also have like civil guilt. You broke the law big time doing that. But it's possible for the judge to look at all the extenuating circumstances and say, you know what? Because of what was going on in your situation and because nobody was hurt and bring the guy in that, that the injured party and say, look, would you consider, you know what? Forget it. I forgive you. And the judge can say, bang, I justified you. I acquit you of all charges in this case. And in that case, legally speaking, it didn't happen. It happened. I mean, you can remember there are people there probably with their cell phones and you're going to be like a, a YouTube celebrity for the rest of your life. But legally speaking, what happened didn't happen. All right. It's on the books as not being on the books. And you are justified before, you know, the Canadian government. This is what Abraham found for his sins. This is kind of a big deal, right? This is a big deal that Abraham found justification. And that before God, his sins were as though his sins didn't happen. So, what else did he find? We're going to find reiterations of the same thing. In verse 3 to 5, we find that he's declared righteous before God. So in the same sense that in that courtroom, the judge would point at you and say, you are, you are righteous, you are just in, in this case. He was de his righteousness was credited to him. That, Jesus, that somebody else's righteousness was credited to his account. His lawless deeds were forgiven. His sins were covered. And his sins were not taken into account. And just because... This is a little bit of an aside here, but because we're talking about a courtroom and everything like that, there's a metaphor that I find really helpful to explain Jesus' death for us. And so I, I want to just take a second. It doesn't come from Romans 4. It actually comes from Romans 5. But talking about how can, how can Jesus' righteousness credit to me? It's, it's something that happens, and, and we know how it happens, that if somebody is driving your car and they hit somebody, I don't know what it is with cars and accidents these days, but if somebody hits somebody with your car, say your son, for example, and they're under your insurance, you are liable for what they did before the, before the government. You're, this is your fault. And if, if you let your son drive when you knew he was not capable of doing so, then you're also liable morally speaking. This is, even though it was him that did it, you're responsible. And so guilt can travel from one person to another. Even though you weren't there, you didn't do it, that guilt can travel, which helps explain that, that, that gets it in our head a little bit, how uh, Adam's sin traveled to us as our representative, as being legally res responsible for us. And Romans 5 talks about, through one man, sin entered the world. But the good news is that through one man, justification entered into the world. And that just as guilt can travel from one party to another, so can justification. Somebody can, could hypothetically, I don't know why they would, but somebody could say, look, I know that you're legally responsible for this, but I'm going to take the guilt instead of you. Um, I'm going to write myself as the co-signer of that, of that insurance policy or whatever. And so guilt and righteousness can travel from one person to another. That's an aside. That's for Romans 5. I'm sorry I shouldn't have gone there, but I think it is helpful just to, to lay these things out. So Abraham found justification for God, before God. 
His sins were not counted against him. They were, they were covered over. How did he do it? What was his secret? And this is so pertinent because half of the world's population is saying, I worship Abraham's God. And if we divide that, I mean, it's basically Christians and Muslims, population-wise. Who is right? And, and then the Jews, who is right about how um, Abraham found righteousness? In verse 2, For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. Paul's argument here is that Abraham was not justified by works. And Muslims will say, God put him to the test and he sacrificed his son Isaac or um, Ishmael for the, for the Muslims. And they'll say, because of that test, he was declared righteous. And Jews will tend to say, well, he obeyed this, the rite of circumcision. And so he did what, and he also, you know, left when he was supposed to leave. He, he went here, went there when he was supposed to leave. So he obeyed God. And that's how he was credited as righteous. But if he was credited as righteous because of what he did, for one thing, Paul says, he would have something to boast about. Does that really make sense? That you could stand before God and say, look how good of a person I am. I did this, I did that, I did this, so let me in. It doesn't really make sense that before God, anything that you could do would be something you could boast about. Rather, he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now to one who works, in verse 4 here, his wage is not credited as a favor, but as what is due. So in verse 3 it said, he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Like in a law court where the judge says, you're righteous, we are calling you righteous, even though you're not. Well, if he had worked for it, he would earn it. And the judge would say, well, you earned this. And it wouldn't be a judge situation, it would be more like a laborer and, and an employer would say, well, here you go, you earned it. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. So Abraham's solution was not simply to try harder. He believed God. He had faith in the promises of God. And it was through faith that he found salvation. In verse 9, he's going to talk specifically to the Jews. Is this blessing then on the circumcised or on the uncircumcised also? For we say, faith was credited to Abraham as righteousness. Now then, how then was it credited while he was circumcised or while he was uncircumcised? Not while he was uncircumcised, but while he was uncircumcised. So this is an argument that kind of goes over our heads. We don't really, circumcision isn't really on our radar. Um, but for the Jews, this was a really, really important thing. And what Paul is pointing to here is there's basically two religious options for earning our salvation, for getting right with God on our own strength. And all religions are going to come down to either be a good person or jump through our hoops. So either, you know, love your neighbor, love your kids, don't cheat on your wife, don't cheat on your taxes, uh, volunteer at Boy Scouts, um, make pies for your, your neighborhood gatherings and whatever, and you'll get into heaven. Be a good person, you'll get into heaven. That's ethics. The second option is jump through our crazy hoops. Uh, wear special hats. Don't wear special hats. Wear special clothes. Don't wear special clothes. Circumcise. Don't circumcise. Um, fast on certain days. Eat on certain other certain days. Wear special underwear. Go to special buildings. 
Um, say special prayers on special mats certain times of the day pointing certain directions. And these are all hoops that we jump through to say, well, if we jump through the hoop just right, then this is the secret way that we can kind of twist God's arm and say, ah, ah I know the secret handshake. All right, now I'm in because I know, and there is, there are religions that have a secret handshake too. We should have a secret handshake. That would be cool. But um, there's there's ethics and there's hoops to jump through. And for the Jews, the the hoop to jump through was circumcision and everything along with that. All the laws, all the traditions of the elders. You live this certain way, which is ethical, which is you know being a good person. But all, but more. More, it, it had to do with jumping through the hoops of God so that you can become righteous before God. But Paul is saying, no, circumcision for Abraham wasn't the hoop. That's not how he got, he got saved, so to speak. That's not how he found justification before God. Why? Because he got declared righteous before circumcision. Because this verse that he's quoted, faith was, faith was credited to Abraham as righteousness. This is quoting Genesis 15, 6. And I'm just going to go there and read it just because this whole passage is based on Genesis 15, 6. So you can turn there if you want. Genesis 15, 6. Uh, Abraham is an old man by this time. And his wife is also very old. Um, I think they were about 190. I'm not really sure. I should have checked that out, but I didn't. Uh, and, and God, for the second or third time, comes to Abraham and says, You're going to have a kid. And Abraham's like, Dude, I'm old. Um, and, and then he tried to have a kid through, uh, his hand, through his servant, because she wasn't quite as old, and, and that biologically is possible. Um, but it, God says, no, your wife is going to have a baby. And Abraham laughed, because he was like, you see my wife? Um, and God's like, no, you're going to have a baby through your wife, even though she is over 90 years old. And that's, by the way, why his son was named Isaac. Um, and God says, Do not fear, Abraham. I'm a shield to you. Your reward will be very great. Abraham said, O Lord God, what will you give me since I am childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abraham said, Since you have given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body, he will be your heir. And he took him outside and said, Now look toward the heavens and count the stars. If you are able to count them, and he said, so shall your descendants be. Then he believed the Lord, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. So here's the verse. God promises him a son, and he said, I believe. Well, he didn't actually say it. He just believed. And that was where he got justified. That was where his sins were covered. That was where he had a right relationship with God. Because God said something to him, and he believed it. And that was, that was where in the courtroom the, the gavel came down and said, All right, you're justified. Your sins are covered. So let's, let's step back for a second and talk about faith. Because faith, look, Christianity is really popular today. And as I said, half the world's population are, call themselves Christians. Let's just be honest, not all of those uh, 4 billion people... Um, have, are actually in a right relationship with God. And faith is this buzzword that lots of people are talking about, lots of people are excited about, 
And there's a lot of confusion around this. So let's talk about what is faith, just for a second. So is faith a good work? And we talked about how Abraham was not saved by good works. But is faith this, this good work? If I have enough faith, then this is how, this is the, the, the meritorious work or the good work I can do to earn my way into heaven. And we have this strange idea about faith that it's kind of like um, an emotion or if I squeeze my eyes and kind of hold my breath and, and, and flex my faith muscles inside, then I'm going to have more faith. And if I have enough faith, then, you know, I can perform miracles with my faith and I can, um, I can be saved of my sins by my faith. This isn't how biblical faith works. Uh, this was, by the way, a huge discussion in the Reformation, that faith is not a meritorious work. Faith, you can't think of it in the same category as something that you do. Um, through faith, we hold on to and we receive the, the gift of God, but it's not an action that we do. And it's, in a sense, and there, there is a gift of faith that God gives, and there's some people that have more faith, and there is some indication that when you have more faith, you can, you know, your prayers are more powerful in some sense. Um, but when it comes to faith in God, it's not as though you need to psych up a certain amount of faith um, before you can have a relationship with Him. And there's a very precious verse in 2 Timothy 2.13 that says, when we are faithless, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. And when, when Jesus was asked uh, by his disciples, Jesus, give us more faith. He said, look, even if you have faith like the size of a mustard seed, you can, you know, say this mountain, move from here to there. You can have tremendous answers to your prayer. It's not about how big your faith is. It's about who your faith connects you to, which is why... All of us can pray with, with the man who brought his son to Jesus. I believe, Father, help me with my unbelief. And I would encourage you, if you feel like your faith is faltering, if you feel like, I believe, but I don't have that emotional connection. I feel like, I don't, I don't know how much, how strong my faith is. Don't worry about your faith. Worry about who your faith is connected to. Because sometimes our faith wavers and falters because we are human because we're weak because we're in um the world because we're under attack by satan the flesh the devil um and the world but it's god that saves us by faith not ourselves that save ourselves through faith and faith is not an emotion it's a decision if you start talking about do you trust your wife yeah i mean Personally speaking, I trust my wife. I, I understand there's some people that, that have trust issues in their, in their marriage, but that's not an issue for me. I trust my wife completely. I trust her with my finances. I trust her with my kids. I trust her to drive my car. I trust her completely. And if you ask me, how much do you trust your wife? How's your faith doing? You have like a little bit of faith or lots of faith or how you doing? If I start qualifying that by saying, oh, I kind of trust her, but you know, not, not here, not there. That's not really faith. I mean, faith is kind of a, an in or out thing. Um, we trust God, and that is how we're credited with righteousness. Furthermore, we're saved by grace through faith. And in, in Genesis 4.16, we have this. And all throughout the New Testament, especially in the teachings of Paul. So we're back to Romans 4 again. Romans 4. 
I'm going to makeshift uh, pulpit here and just a little collapse. Okay, we're good. Uh, Romans 4, 16. Whenever it talks about faith, it talks about grace. You are saved through, by grace through faith. Grace through faith. The two work as a team. For this reason, it is by faith, in order that it may be in accordance with grace, that the promise guaranteed to all the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, but also those who are of the faith in Abraham, who is the father of us all. We are saved by grace through faith. And this is why Tim Keller says, it's not your faith that saves you, but the object of your faith that saves you. Grace is God's hand reaching down. Faith is our hand reaching up. And together, that's how we're saved. But don't ever believe that just simply reaching up your hand is going to save you. Or reaching up your hand to whoever, whatever is out there. And it's a very popular concept in our culture that I just, I have faith. Well, what do you mean by that? Who, who do you have faith in? Oh, I don't know. I just have faith. I, I believe. You know, well, do you believe in Christ? Yeah, sure, I believe in Christ. Do you believe in Buddha? I believe in Buddha too. Do you believe in, in you know, Allah and Muhammad? Oh, yeah, I believe I believe in everything. Well, what, do, what is faith? Faith is a connecting word. I trust so-and-so. We're, we're really picky about babysitters. Here's an example. We're really picky about babysitters. It caused a bit of a crisis for us because we had something we had to go to as a couple without kids. It was a week long. Who are we going to trust to watch our kids? And, uh, you know, we're kind of freaked out about people watching our kids and, and uh, we don't want bad stuff to happen. We don't, whatever. We're freaked out about that. Finally, um, my sister-in-law was available from school. She watched our kids. Hey, I trust her with my kids. It's a big deal. I don't trust just whoever to, try to, to watch my kids. I have faith in that person for that thing. That's what faith is. It's a connecting word. And when we have faith in God, that faith through grace, because he has promised to save us, that faith saves us. But just having faith in the universe to do whatever I wish the universe to do, this is, this is nonsense, at least from a Christian perspective. Um, and that's fine if somebody wants to use the word faith to refer to religious feelings. But religious feelings, in the Christian sense, that, that's, not that's distinct from the sort of faith that saves us. In the same way that if you're standing on top of a 10-story building and you're looking down and there's firemen there with one of those... I don't know if they actually do that. Do they do that with the trampoline thing or is that just in uh, Curious George? I don't know. But um, there, there's people down there with the red hats and the, and the suit and, and the, the trampoline that might be real or not. And they're saying, jump, jump, and the whole f building is on fire. You can put faith in them that they are graciously, they, you know, they're doing something for you without asking anything in return. They, that's grace. And they're, they're holding that thing and they're saying, jump, it'll be all right. You can have faith in that and your faith can save you. Now you could also have faith. You're just looking down there and you're like, I hope somebody catches me. Ah! That faith, you know, might be sincere and genuine and heartfelt and you know, I'll go a step further. I'll say, I'm not going to judge you for your faith. Sorry, my, my voice is going. <clears throat> it's because I have to yell so loud to get the, the voice so far. You guys are so far away from me. I just like, my voice is going. Um, but, you know, if you just jump and you believe somebody's going to catch you, that faith is not going to save you. I'm sorry. And, and I won't judge you for your faith. I mean, everybody's entitled to their own opinions. But you're stupid, okay? That's not going to work. 
And furthermore, if somebody's down there, 10 stories down, and they're like, I'll catch you, I'll catch you. You know, you can have faith in that person. But I'm telling you, that saving faith is going to kill you and him. You need to have faith in somebody that can save you. And that's how grace and faith go together. Grace is God reaching down. Faith is us grabbing his hand and saying, God, I understand your, your, um, your gift of salvation. I understand how, um, well, I don't completely understand maybe, but I understand that somehow Jesus dying on the cross paid for my sins. And I don't, I don't maybe have it all figured out, but I'm accepting that gift. And I'm saying, God, please save me for my sins, and I'm going to trust you and live for you. That's faith. That's faith that saves us. Um, which is why Paul ends this, and, and there's, there's more that, um, that could be said about the second half of this chapter. I'm going to skip over stuff about us being Abraham's children. I'm going to skip over stuff about us being heirs of the promise. Um, just to get to the end of the verse. And, it, and this is where Paul draws the parallel between Abraham's faith and Christian faith. Therefore, in, in Romans 4.22, it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham believed that he was going to have a kid because God said he would. And that belief was credited to him as righteousness. Now, not for his sake only was it written that it was credited to him. God made sure it was written down that it was credited to him so that Abraham wasn't the only guy that got saved in the whole history of the universe. Um, he made sure it was written down so that other people could learn how to be saved in the same way that Abraham was. But for our sake also, to whom it will be credited, as though who those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he who was delivered over because of our transgression and was raised because of our justification. And remember what I talked about earlier, about how guilt can travel from one person to another, justification can travel from one person to another, that Jesus, in his death and what he did for us, traveled justification from himself over to us and paid for our sins. And that's how we can get to Romans 5, 1. You're saying, are you just going to keep going? Are you going to just all the way through Romans? No, I'll just do 5, 1, and then I'll stop. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have been justified, declared righteous before God by faith, holding on to the grace coming down to us. We have peace with God. We have peace with God. There's no longer the wrath of God shining down on us like a blinding laser light on our sins. There is peace. Our sins are covered over. When Jesus looks, when God looks at us, God the judge looks at us, he sees Jesus. He sees perfect righteousness. Because legally speaking, <clears throat> legally speaking, that is who we are. We are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. We are a child, a child of God adopted into the family. Jesus was the firstborn among many brethren. And we are brothers of Christ, children of God, heirs of the promise. And this is why in Romans 3.29, even though... It says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's the bad news. And in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. Even though all have sinned and fallen short of the gl glory of God, even though the wages for sin is death, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
And all we have to do is say, you know what, I'm on your team. I'm going to live for you. Yes, I am on your, uh, I'm a Christian. Over time. Um, but I want to take another five minutes of your time, if that's okay. Uh, because there's one more point I want to say. Is faith a replacement for works? And this is a question that Paul has to deal with over and over. If we're saved by faith, can I just do whatever I want with my life? Can I live however I want and then come to church and, and sing the songs and, and pray the prayers and God forgives my sins? And this is something that, that Paul was accused of in, and that he responds to in Romans 3.8. Why not say as we are slanderously reported and some claim that we say, let's do evil that good may come. Certainly you can see from Paul's theology where he would get this or, or where this critique would come from. And in Romans 6, he spends a whole chapter talking about um, this question. Uh, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? Hey, the more I sin, the more God forgives me. That's more grace. Grace is good. Therefore, sin is good. Uh, the logic kind of works. But Paul's like, look, you're saved to a new life. So live a new life. Live in freedom. And uh, this was a question that came up in one Bible study that we had on campus. And, and the student said, look, most religions of the world will say, look, you, you do these good things and then God will save you. And Christianity says you get saved, then you do these good things. So, you know, potato, potato, it's kind of the same thing. You're all getting saved, we're all doing good things. The order doesn't really matter. And here's the deal, the order does matter. And the difference between the way, and, and Martin Luther said there's thousands of religions of works and there's one religion of grace, and I believe that. And the difference is that whether the, court, the, whether the horse is in front of the cart or behind the cart matters. Order matters. Because most religions, you do good things and you hope that you get into heaven. Christianity, God gives you the promise that you are saved and then you live that out. How that, that looks emotionally speaking, let me give you this example. It's like the difference between being married and just living with somebody, common law. And I know there's some people that live with somebody and they're awesome people, okay? And, and so this isn't to like denigrate anybody that's, that's um, you know, loving and caring for people, even though that is a sin, biblically speaking. But um, I worked for a while with a guy that was a real jerk, and he was living with his girlfriend, and his attitude was, as long as I'm happy with her, we'll stay together. And when I'm not happy with her anymore, there's lots of fish in the sea. And I hate, to, I hate to break it to you, but there's a lot of guys out there with that attitude. And it, that attitude stinks. That attitude really stinks. Because it puts the woman in a situation where I have to do the right things. I have to perform. I have to do what he says. I have to, or else I'm gone. And maybe I have to take care of the kids by myself. Maybe I, you know, don't have a way to support myself. Maybe I'm going to be on, you know, in a very difficult situation. Whereas marriage starts with grace through faith. I will love you for the rest of your life, for better, for worse, for sickness and health. Um, and the other one that I can't remember, no matter what, I'm, I'm going to stick with, with you. Even if you get, you know, less attractive than you are today, even if, you know, there's a car accident, you're, you're paralyzed. Even if we get broke, and even if you're the reason that we got broke, 
whatever happens, I'm sticking with you. And that is, that is grace. And that is faith. I give you myself, no strings attached. And you receive me, no strings attached, and give me. And, and then we start life. And then we start life. And yes, is there a code of conduct? Is there certain unspoken and certain spoken rules of, of being married? For sure there is. But the order matters. The order matters. And our relationship with God starts with grace. And outwards from that, we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. But it starts with grace. And the foundation is grace. And the foundation is love. How can you... And I, I do need to be careful because when you're not from a Christian home, I understand that uh, the way that you, you put together a relationship is, is going to be different. And you can sincerely love somebody. Um, but the Bible says this is the way that it works the best, is marriage. Um, but how can you sincerely love somebody when the foundation of your relationship is works, is performance? That, to me, does not speak of love. If you truly love her, put a ring on her finger. That's all I'm saying. Um, I want to close now because we are a little bit over time. Uh, Tom said it was okay if I went a little over time, so it's his fault. Um, and, uh, but I want to pray for you. And as I mentioned, uh, this is going to go up on YouTube. There's going to be students listening to this. And that's why I really want to be clear about what salvation is. And I want to be clear about how you can sign up for the team. If, if that is on your wish list. And um, I want to share, for you, share with you this, the very simple story of the only person I led to Christ back in high school. And I gave her uh, mere Christianity, and we talked, and, and there were all these ideas and all these questions. And at some point, she came to me at school the next day and said, You know what? Last night I was getting ready for bed, and I told God, All right, I'm in. That was it. And you know what? She was in. There's no hoop to jump through. There's no line that you need to say. There's no work that you need to perform. You don't even need to know what's going on. I mean, Abraham, when you think about it, didn't really know a whole lot of what was going on. He just said, I'm going to get a kid. All right, sure, I'll have a kid. And that was what was needed, faith. So if, if you, somebody in this audience or somebody online wants to give their life to Jesus, here's how you do it. Say yes to God. Just say yes. Just say, I believe. Help my unbelief. I'm in. And if it would be helpful to you, then I'm going to pray, and you can pray along after me if you would like. This is not a work that guarantees your salvation. What guarantees your salvation is the work, the completed work of Christ on the cross for you. But uh, I'm going to pray this, and uh, you can pray it along with me in your heart or in your mind or out loud, however you'd like. Lord Jesus, I know that you are holy and that I am sinful. And I know that if I was to stand before you today, you would see my sin and you would say, you're a sinner. You need to be judged for your sins. Jesus, I'm sorry for my sin. I turn from that as much as I can in my own strength. And I say, I don't want to live like this. Please forgive me for all my sins. And God, I don't necessarily know how it all works, but I know that somehow Jesus died for my sins. And he has promised that he can wash me whiter than snow. He can make me clean. He can forgive me for everything I've ever done. I just pray that you would do that for me right now. And I just pray that your Holy Spirit would come into me and that you would make me a new child 
that you would make me a child of your kingdom. And I'm going to try the best that I can to be on your team, to, to live for you, to, to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.